Southern FM, and you're tuned in to Tech Mode. On the line is Rhonda Brighton Paul, CEO of Moi. And a very warm welcome to Rhonda. Hi, Rhonda. Hi, thank you very much for having me. (laughs) Are you a great showman? No, but I do love a great show. I, I, I'd like to be. <laughs> I know you absolutely uh, love uh, The Greatest Showman and all the music. And why is that? I think it's just really great fun. I, I like a lot of musicals. I'm really funny. I like things between punk, country and show tunes. So that's my repertoire. But it's uh, so quite a mix there. It's so great. Yeah, it's, it's mixed and it's the spice of life, isn't it? It's really fun. But it's such an uplifting, wonderful movie. It's just so cool. Yeah, and how do you think um, the music captures the spirit of uh, humanist uh, sentiment? Oh, I, I mean, there's obviously that level of the fact that they're, they're portraying all these people who are, by definition, misfits for society, but actually are the show. And uh, I love and love each other, and, and I think it's just such a lovely story about that. Mm. What is it like to be human at work? You know, oh, a, <laughs> are you a human? Really good question. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm personally not, of course. No, no, I am actually. I'm human. Um, I think it's just being yourself, and I know that that sounds really flippant, but it's there's so much conversation around. You know, it's it's sort of an element of just you can turn up, and people are waiting for you to turn up and do what you need to do there. And I think for a long time we've talked about inclusion programs or programmatic diversity and things like that. And actually what people want is not to turn up and be part of a program. They just want to turn up because they're an important part of the team and they want to be part of it. Mm. And with, you know, very... Community, connection. That's it. And, you know, so your company, Moi, um, you know, has this absolute humanity uh, push. So what is absolute humanity for you? Because that is actually in the Moi name, isn't it? Yeah, it is, and and I think what we try to what we're trying to do, and what we try to do every day, is sort of think about work quite differently. Work's always been this thing: here is my life, and there is my work over there. But actually, work is a really important part of life, and so it's um it's our contribution. It's how we get to play with the rest of society. It's how we join the economy. It's there's lots of good things about work, and we know we do a lot of work with people with disability, and we know what happens when people don't get included and allowed to come to work. I mean, they just become sad. They're not part of society and mm. that's, it's such an important there's a lack of purpose yeah it's a lack of yeah, purpose, lack of, and... a lack of involvement lack of community lack of connection i mean there's a whole bunch of stuff that just you lose if you if you don't get included in that mm. i think it's a super important part of life and that's what we sort of try to do having said that we work with probably some of the most um the really cool parts of technology and the, the difference probably is that instead of going I have some technology, let me force it on you. We sort of go, how would technology actually enhance this experience or how would it change work for people or how would it allow us to include more people or change attitudes and mindsets? So we use technology to solve really human problems as opposed to take technology and squash it on top of a human. Mm. And are we working too hard? So I, I yeah. noticed that on one of your <laughs> I noticed on one of your interviews, you yeah. said that if they did a digital footprint on executives and you know the the directors, that if the workers, you know, high achievers and directors were working like sixty plus hours a week, that there could be mental health problems quite quickly. Um, why is that? Are yeah, we working too hard? Physical problems. So the answer is yes, because it's not a hypothetical. What we can actually do is we do all these surveys and we say to people. 
are you working flexibly? And they say, oh, yes, I am. And I train my kids' soccer team on Wednesdays, and that's fabulous. And then when you take a digital footprint of what they're actually working, those hours, you know, 60 would be a short week. They're working much more, much many more hours. And so when we start to look at things, I think the best research that I saw was a book called Dying for a Paycheck from 2018. I love the title, Dying for a Paycheck. (laughs) Wow, that is definitely (laughs) uh, working to live, isn't it? Or, well, yeah, yeah, living to work. (laughs) Yeah, and you and you do have to have a fictional book or the greatest show tunes or something nearby after you've read it because it's quite a depressing read. But he talks about the fact that the physicality of work and the hours that we're working and the way that we're approaching it is so horrible for us physically and mentally, and obviously they're deeply connected. Mm. Um, that he, after six doctorate studies, which is what he sponsored and worked with, wow. they've actually shown that the um, work as a cause of death is actually the fourth cause of death in America, and actually it's higher than diabetes. Wow. And that's just so we, hours. We're just not built, we're not built for this. We're not built to, to work right. the hours that, that people are working. Or all the way that we're working. I think it's things like the really crazy stress intervals. So we've got very efficient and productive. So we have these meetings where every topic only goes for 15 minutes. But actually that's... To try and have an opinion, get into a decision, be part of that's something quite stressful. That's discussed, very stressful. And yeah. if you're in a meeting for four hours and you've got, you know, four hours worth of fifteen minute intervals, all different topics, all of them are important. You know, all of them. Mm. Have and everyone wants to have a say, and people want to impress, <laughs> and people want to feel like yeah. they're doing their job and delivering. That's a lot of stress in fifteen yeah. minutes, isn't it? Like we're trying to yeah. push a lot of high level activity and thought and interaction in such short time frames because we feel like we've got to keep uh, producing more and more and more in shorter time periods. Yeah, and also we're not listening for the conversation, so the quality of decisions in that time are pretty rubbish because we're we've got our one sentence we want to say. So when someone else is making a really good point, we're too busy waiting for our chance to say the one sentence to actually go, oh my goodness, that point you just made was awesome. Mm. <laughs> Change my mind. I want to go with you. So we're not building on each other's thinking or ideas. We're not actually working together. We're just it's more or less like a puppet show or a play. Yeah, to turn up to be involved but actually not. So you think it's the processes, you think it's how we're working and that's how we could make work more human by looking at the processes and by how we interact and what we're actually doing with work and how we're doing it. Yeah, I I think the processes and the way that we've got things structured is certainly part of it. Um, There's certainly who we allow to come into work. So we end up having workplaces where everybody's quite, they're all very similar. And then we have all the... Uh, ways of this is how you must fit in here, this is how you must look and be. And and we forget that actually having people who turn up and say the wrong thing at the wrong time that's actually quite funny is actually make, could make a meeting much much more enjoyable for everybody. Yeah, and absolutely. And so, it, it helps relax people and it helps people to think of different ideas that might be a little bit left field or right field or centre field but mixes things up a bit and that is actually human. Absolutely. And it is like human beings have got a couple of things that are really unique comparative to any other thing you can look at in the business. And one of them is that we're quite irrational. So we will do things unexpectedly. And so we will surprise people with our contribution or surprise people with an idea they weren't expecting from us. Mm. Um, the other thing is we're very voluntary. So we don't have any limits to us. If you treat me nicely and smile at me and say good morning, I'll give you more today than I was going to give you if you didn't. 
and that's quite unique. So you can you uncapped resource. Mm. It really is. So we really you know, are, are very emotional. So even if we try to have a very rational uh, facade and we try to fit into the workplace practices and the ethos, people really are more emotional and respond more to emotional human responses than than the workplace would lead us to believe. Yeah, and we quite like other people around us. So I know when we're working with people with disability, one of the things that's that's quite funny is we find a positive impact from employing people with disability on the rest of the team, not just the person obviously that gets to come to work now, which is great, but it's also on the fact that people go, it's sort of cool belonging to a team that looks like the society I came from as opposed to... A weird version that's missing half of it. Yeah, totally. So your background, you didn't end up being an, an accountant. I know that that's how you perhaps thought you <laughs> may have started your working life. You moved into HR and into the corporate world, working with um, some very big companies, uh, resource companies, I think uh, BHP, before settling uh, before settling into, but first you had to set up your own company and with a variety of uh, work and consulting and, and training with moi. Um, tell us about that journey. Well, I started in big companies because I started in BHP straight from school. So they put me through my degree and my postgrad, which was great. That was how it was done. Uh, and then I went to big companies. I went to Sierra Leone, which is 155,000 people, Luxottica, 67,000. And then I spent a couple of years in the Commonwealth Bank, which is 52,000. So it's the smallest company I'd worked with. But in 2016, we decided to build moi. And what we wanted was a different conversation about work because there's so much PR and branding about, you know, how well we're treating people, how well diversity is doing, how well leadership's doing. And actually, in the absence of being able to have a conversation about what's actually working and what's actually not, um, and what, how work is changing and what we could and should do about that and what we might like in the future, um, that conversation is mute. It's just literally stuck in under a bunch of brands that don't want to talk um, mm. the full story because it's bad for their brand. So. What we wanted was a non-branded conversation where we could literally say, how, how is work designed? What's good about it? What could we change? How could we get better? So you could say and it as it is. Created. So you could yeah. say it as, it as it is, not what um, not the cookie cutter and not yeah. what people want to expect for the big corporate profile. And, and try different ideas. Like, so we've got this way, we must be best practices, as best practice and that best practice and the next thing. And actually what we said is, it doesn't really matter if you've got best practice and a bunch of stuff. What you actually need is just everything working really well together. Because mm, so, best practice is a lot of stress too, isn't it? I mean, all those guidelines and they keep changing all the time and, you know, and new it's updates. Often, <laughs> it's often irrelevant. Like if, if, you know, I don't know, some other company's done something really fabulous and you've got that's best practice we must copy. But it might only work in that environment in Spain where they've got that company. And when you try to apply it to a different industry in Australia – it doesn't work as best practice. It's sort of a goofy way of working. So, no, so things need to be custom. Yeah, and things need to be custom yeah. uh, fit for the for the organisation itself, the type and the people. So yeah. what are the major trends uh, that you're starting to see in organisational change now? I would say the biggest trend that we're looking at at the moment is absolute simplification. I think things have got so complicated that people want the foundations of work, whether that be leadership or core people processes, all that sort of jazz. They want that to be incredibly intuitive, very simple, and they want it to work. Mm, I wasn't expecting you to say that (laughs) because we're expecting like because it's such a stressful sort of so much information coming at us and through us uh, with us every day that I was expecting, you know, you, you know, 
needs to be more layers of complexity, but we're actually you're trying to peel back the layers of complexity to um, simplify things, and that's that's a trend. Yeah, because they're starting to say, you know, really good conversations about things like the relationships in our business aren't working as well as they should. So, you know, if you go back five years, we need a model of innovation and collaboration to put in here and a framework of scrums or something like that. Now we're actually saying to people, what's getting in the way of the relationships at work? What would make it easier for you to get on well with everybody? Mm. And, and you think that's the core of it? Do you think the core yeah, of it is relationships? That, that That's it. I think the core of it, and we've done a lot of stuff on this, is, is a couple of really simple things. So I think it's purpose. You've got to do some work that you care about, that someone cares that you turn up and do it. So it's purposeful. You need a couple of relationships. People who ter- care whether you turn up, yeah. <laughs> pretty important, True. and you care about them. You need some agency, a bit of freedom to do it your way as a grown-up so that you're not being told how to do everything, so that you've got not, no agency over your work. And the fourth thing you need, and this is the one that often goes missing, is you need some accountability. You need people to rely on you. You need to be part of community. Mm. And if you're talking to Indigenous leaders, and we do a lot of work with that group, is also that's core, that their commitment to community, your accountability to community, absolutely critical to belong. Mm. And that's what we're now finding in normal workplaces. Um, we've forgotten that. We've, we've left that one aside. We've said, you get to be included, but we haven't said, you know, we really need you to turn up because it's important that you do. Your mm. work is important. Do you think change is overall too slow in uh, industry and in companies? Mm. I think it's probably both. It's probably too fast sometimes <laughs> and too dramatic and other times far too slow. Like there's so many opportunities that we've got to do things differently or better and we get caught up in long lists of things. Like, you know, the number of times we see a company and they'll say, we're doing all this change and there's like pages of stuff they're doing. And you say, well, what difference is each of these things going to make? And often the answer is no one's thought about that. Mm, and why is that? Really is, it because, is it because you've got the same sort of people who are making the same sort of decisions so that nothing really changes all that much or that's why things are held back? You know, is there not yeah. enough different types yeah. of people involved in the decision-making processes? Yeah, I think you're definitely onto something there because I think that there's very much evidence that um, where we, we've got the same people in all the same leadership roles, when we start mapping things like privilege indexes across workforces, um, the senior leadership teams, male and female, have got exactly the same levels of really high privilege in any company and the next layer down a little bit less, next layer down a little bit less. So certainly the big decision makers are certainly from a very small group of society as opposed to most of us. And that's not helpful. We need more people in the decision-making process. I agree with that. Um, and I think the other part of it is probably we're making decisions on goofy things. So you see people saying, oh, we've got this new model. And you go, that model that you're just putting into your company is from 1996. The chances <laughs> of it working in 2019 are slim. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's just crazy, and we're thinking about taking trips to Mars. I mean, really, and in some other areas, we seem to be so far behind. <laughs> there was an it's article. The hum- it's the human stuff that we're behind on. It's the, the human stuff. We're still using old models and old ways yeah. of thinking about people, and we're moving forward. Yes, and getting, you know, um, you know, are we slaves to our work? There was an article uh, yesterday that was uh, published and it says, Dad opens Amazon parcel to find notes saying staff are treated like slaves. So a dad opens his Amazon delivery to find uh, a note begging for help and saying workers were treated like slaves. This message was scrawled on brown wrapping paper. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, it can't be the only company where people yeah. <laughs> might have that message. It's uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's quite a strong um, statement, isn't it? There's a lot of automation that, that goes on in, in those uh, big uh, companies like yeah. Amazon. It's a bit of a, yeah, a that's factory. A, that's a, that'd be sad, wouldn't it, to get that parcel? You'd be like, you want to go on a mission to go and rescue them <laughs> or something. But hopefully they're not genuinely slaves. I'm sure there is slaves still around, as we know, but... That's pretty sad. Um, I think that there is a debate around how technology is used. That's been a really interesting piece because I, I remember having a conversation with a, a really cool technologist and she rang me up and she said, look, I, I love your work on inclusion, but of course it's not very realistic. Oh. Said, oh thanks. <laughs> Quite patronising, but okay. Yeah, it's um, a bit of a backhand. <laughs> yeah. And she was saying that she estimated that there would only need to be about 30% of us wouldn't need to work at all. And so um, I said, well, what will we do? She goes, well, it won't be you because you've got a good education, so it will just be like other people. I said, just mm. humor me and imagine I'm in the 30% that doesn't get to go to work anymore. She said, well, you could just stay home and, like, garden. <laughs> yeah, right. I think that, yeah, um, yeah that, yeah. well, that can be quite but, lonely, gardening, as, as, as enjoyable as it <laughs> is. Um, a bit of a Netflix binge for a few days and then sooner or later you'll get up off the couch and go somewhere. Like we're not going to just sit there and go, okay, if you told me to stay at home, I will. Yeah. We'll just move. We're free. Oh, well, we're going to go to a short break, Rhonda, and we're going to go to, quite appropriately, uh, 21st Century Breakdown by Green Day, and then we'll be back <laughs> Yeah, talking about uh, the future of work or the future of life or the future of being human. Southern FM. And you're listening to Tech Load with Rhonda Brighton-Hall, CEO of MOI. And we're looking at oh, the future of work. <laughs> is there a future, Rhonda, for work, our work? Yeah, I, I think there is. Work is not this thing that we invented. Like We started structuring work like we're doing it now, the five-day week, eight-hour days in 1860. But we've been working for thousands and thousands of years before that. So work is our natural get out of bed, I want to contribute to society, let's go. And I think there's definitely a future because whatever it changes shape, we'll just turn up. really believe that. Mm-hmm. And what sort of shift do you think there will be in the type of jobs that we'll be doing in the future that, that some of us are even possibly doing now in the world? What, what sort of shift? Well, I think what we're seeing already, just looking at the hard data, is there's a massive shift. The, the only thing that's deeply concerning is we're probably not talking about it and preparing people for it and getting ready for it, but there's certainly a shift in what was traditionally male jobs, a lot of regional jobs. These are changing really fundamentally, and the big companies that have got the giant workforces, sort of the omnipresent ones, a lot of their jobs are being automated, and the estimates they'll take something like 20% of their workforce out. Mm, and we know that huge. a lot of big companies are already planning that and getting those numbers ready, but societally, we can't talk about it because it's like we just want to get angry at them. But actually, it's going to happen. So we're better off if we said, this is the shift that are happening. Mm. This is the shift people are planning. What are we going to do and how can we retrain the workforce or give people different opportunities? Because yeah. we have a few years to get to it. We don't have to do it overnight. But the longer we leave the conversation, yeah, there'll be more panic. we'll be doing it overnight. Yeah, yeah. there'll be more panic yeah. and devastation and um, you know, more stress and, uh, you know, so uh, what sort of skills do you think people will be, well, companies and the workforce will be looking for uh, from people? What uh, skills will people I, need? I think 
there's certainly there's massive increases in things like caring, uh, medical. We're all living longer. There's more medical and and um, medical interventions into us. So uh, huge increases in those sorts of jobs. Um, research, lots of work back on the back end of the scientific side of research or data and all the work in, in technology. And then there's also, you know, just normal service jobs. I mean, the way that we've approached service jobs in the past has changed quite dramatically, but they still exist. We still like service. We like someone to look after us and help us. Mm. And, and I think those jobs are all pretty real. And what about, um, you know, soft skills for workers, you know, creativity and, um, you know, yeah, I think there is certainly communication, problem solving, um, an ability to get on well with people. Those are all skills that have always been important and they remain important. One of the things I have seen that's quite funny is companies going, oh, we need to train everybody in a certain way of doing emotional intelligence. <laughs> actually, Sounds you know, counterintuitive. It's, well, it does a bit, doesn't it? And also the reality is this say all of us are in a family Um we're in families, you have people with high emotional intelligence and we have people with less emotional intelligence and we all get on fine. It's sort of quirky and fun and we're okay with it. You don't need everybody acting a certain way every time you speak. Like I, I saw one group that had been taught to listen a certain way. Oh, really? How do you listen weird. a certain way? How do you listen a certain you way? To, Prop the right ear to a 30-degree <laughs> angle, then after a beat you move the left ear to a 20-degree <laughs> angle. Percent of eye contact. Yeah, it's really weird. So, <laughs> I think when you start training people to be like that, that's super weird. And, that is and people super will weird. feel weird. <laughs> that is super weird. Which you know brings me to the question that I have for you. Last week we opened uh, Tech Load with Norik Delanchian's creative uh, music piece on humans will do the work. Uh, do you think? Uh, speaking of weird, do you think that in the future the people will um, actually feel a need to have a technological enhancement? Uh, like become a little bit cyborg-like or have uh, certain sort of technological devices more attached to their bodies and potentially um, implanted? It's possible. It's possible because there's so many, you know, opportunities to do that. Yeah. But we're not – but we have an awfully long way to go before we'd actually be (laughs) in that sort of position. I mean, I don't know if you've had – a good conversation with a chatbot or something recently or tried to get in an elevator that wants to take you where it wants to take you. So there's a long way to go. <laughs> you have an interesting but, um, chatbot yeah. story you were telling me. <laughs> I, I did. I had um, I had a Qantas flight cancelled on my birthday and I was flying home to have birthday with my, my parents and my kids and my husband. Mm. And um, the chatbot wrote to me and said, we cancelled the flight and could it help me? And I'm like, well, no, you just cancelled the flight. You're a very unhelpful chatbot. So... <laughs> I wrote back to them and said, well, you could get me back a flight because it's my birthday and I want to be home for dinner. And the chatbot wrote back and said, I am a chatbot. Oh, <laughs> really? I am a chatbot and I'm trying to help you. Uh, please tell me your name. So I told my name. Please tell me your number. I told my number. Please tell me some more details about you. I'm like, oh, for crying out loud. So I just picked up the phone and got someone to help me. Two hours later, the chatbot was still writing to me to tell me things that it could help me with. And I'm like, I've already solved it. I already ranked someone we <laughs> oh, solved no. it. You, you're too slow. Well, too you slow. made a chatbot friend by the sounds of it. <laughs> <laughs> but it could be <laughs> eternal if someone doesn't fix that program. <laughs> and the chatbot then wrote to me and said, how would you rate our conversation? I, I really enjoyed it. How would you rate your conversation? I gave him a two out of ten. Oh, there's room for improvement. He could be a girl, I don't know. (laughs) There is room for improvement. What about an opportunity? It's come up sort of, I think, uh, 
pretty much in the last uh, year or two. And it's, it's come up from lots of different uh, sources all around the world. And this idea, uh, through governments as well, are talking about it, um, a universal wage. Do you think uh, what what room do we have in society for that? Is that something that's workable? Will people then be taking the universal wage and be sort of at home uh, gardening alone? <laughs> or yeah, can you take alone. <laughs> can you take? <laughs> or will there be a universal wage and we'll still be involved in productive community uh, ventures, but still not you know not necessarily having to work for a wage, but everybody gets a universal wage? Yeah, I I um. I had just a deep conversation about universal wage with this technologist woman who thought that, you know, nobody was going to work. And I said, well, how will we function? Like, we're just at home gardening, hanging out with our friends, binging Netflix. What, how do we earn money? What do we do? And she was like, ah, oh, universal wage is going to be fantastic. And I said, it's going to be the same as your wage for going to work. And she goes, no. I said, okay. So, so it's sort of there's this people who get lots of money for going to work and people who garden just get nothing. And she was like, well, you can't have everyone the same, otherwise there's no motivation. I'm like, well, sure. But if you tell 30% of population you're going to set a wage for them that you get to set, I think we'll have an opinion on that. I think we'll say, no, I don't like what you've given me. (laughs) I want different. I want more. I want an opportunity myself. And I think that's where we're sort of underestimating that you can divide society up and go, these people will be fine like that because they're sort of lesser than Mm -hmm. and the rest of us need more than because we're more than. And I think human beings are of equal value and we need to start thinking like that. What does society look like in the future where people can be treated with respect and dignity regardless of their ability to be included or not included in a particular group? Mm. And um, what are companies doing now to allow people to be more inclusive? Uh, Well, they're starting to think, we're starting to think very differently about it. So certainly um, there's good technology that enables us to make work more accessible. So for example, geographical dispersion, or if you um, uh, have a disability that means that you can't leave your home easily, so at the moment you have to get a carer and you have to get special taxis and everything else, we can actually join people from their home or from wherever they happen to be into a virtual meeting through virtual reality now. We can do that today and that works really brilliantly. And that means someone who's got a physical disability or an inability to get to a workplace mm. can they actually can still be feel like they're part of it. Equal. Mm. Yeah, they can it's feel really like fantastic. Yeah, and you're actually, amazing. You're in the room together instantly and I think that's fantastic. We can do that all over the world. Mm. So there's technology like that that companies are using. There's also things to rethink mindset and shift because I think diversity inclusion, for example, became quite an intellectual concept and actually it's an emotional concept. You know, everybody, you know, gets it intellectually. It's good and the right thing to do, politically correct, whatever, but it's not until you feel what it feels like to be excluded or to not have any power in the relationship that you have a visceral reaction to it and then you go, oh, wow, that, that, that isn't good. I don't like that feeling. And so we're using virtual reality, for example, to to give people that feeling of walking in someone else's shoes, mm, which mm. that triggers an empathy. And what we know from this, this work is if you trigger empathy, you can have a much deeper conversation about relationships and how we work together than you can if you just intellectually discuss EQ or something like that. It becomes much more people are talking about it in their head but not really understanding the mm. emotional feeling of it. Do you think, do you think there's a, a lack of productivity in uh, some companies and some departments and some people where there are certain factors that are affecting the potential of the worker's performance? 
meaning if they have a disability that affects their productivity? Oh, not, no, not necessarily um, looking, but just anybody. Just anybody, like it doesn't matter, like uh, whether they've got a disability or not. Are uh, there certain factors that are affecting uh, people's and workers' performance at the workplace? Oh, absolutely. I think that the biggest impact is when there's not clarity around the fact that you know everybody, everybody's here. We're all in it together. Let's go. We're on the same page. And when you get elements of insecurity or not really feeling like I belong, don't really feel like I'm part of the gang. I overthink that. I waste a lot of my own headspace overthinking, trying to fit in, mm. Um, mm. trying to read the unwritten rules. And I think that wastes huge amounts of productive, productive time. Totally. And, you know, emotional distress is takes consumes so much energy and makes people so tired, um, apart from also making them sick. Um, you know, that yeah. that's all and over we've, the we've got workforce. a lot of... Yeah, I've got a lot of really strange ideas all wrapped up in there that were just for the longest, longest time. So one of the best things I heard last week was actually her senior leader, as we've been talking about, you know, the fact that everybody's got stuff and lives are pretty messy and you just have to roll with whatever's coming at you. And um, she's just up and said, um, for 20 years I was indoctrinated to think that every time someone turned up late for their work, it was personally a lack of respect for me and the team. <laughs> And now I know to just go up and say, hey, is everything okay with you and yours this morning? Are you okay? Because people have got you know, stuff going on in their life. They have. And and some people push themselves, um, you know, in different ways and are stretched in different ways. And sometimes they could actually be overperforming and really performing on target. But yes, they might be late. (laughs) But they're doing everything else right. But how do you actually, um, you know, uh, monitor that? And some days for all of us, just turning up at all is pretty hard. (laughs) (laughs) So on those days, having someone dump on you that, you know, you're disrespectful and everything's like, oh, gee, that's all I needed. I was already really struggling to today. But so someone just, you walk in and someone says, hey, is everything okay with you this morning? You go, actually, it's a bit rubbish, but I've made it. Hey, good to be here. That's good. Yeah. (laughs) I've got a a funny story. I've got a funny story, but I'm not going to like go into too many details. But um, I was uh, doing a, um, a, a show that, you know, TV program that you know involved me looking a certain way I also had a, a second role um uh, doing some high level high level sales I was late but the reason why I was late was because I burnt myself with my hair curler so I got this burn mark <laughs> on my neck and you know I've got to go in I've got two jobs I'm doing a, a live show <laughs> and I've got sales meetings or whatever that day and it actually I don't know why or how but it ended up uh, ended up being some sort of workplace tribunal type of um, uh, situation, <laughs> I literally went through all my emails and all my telephone <laughs> records and printed everything out in work time in preparation for this tribunal. And I tell you what, they've never been so embarrassed. The amount of time, well, I was the last to leave. I was making calls all around the world globally and um, that was just ridiculous. I think they were really quite ashamed of themselves. But things like that happen and to, 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 to be pulled out for being late and to have to go through this, you know, process of, a, of whatever it was, a tribunal. At, well, I don't think it was at the technical tribunal. It was the one before that, but, you know, they're just definitely yeah. investigating the matter and HR involved is um, very stressful. Those things are very stressful and, some, and sometimes um, yeah, management makes the wrong decision. We, we had a very key example of this the other day. We had a person who said, look, this person is not including me. They don't say good morning. Um, they really make me feel like I'm not part of the team. They keep having team meetings, not inviting me, and then I have to find the team and hop in, and I don't feel like I'm included. 
And so in talking to them, they said, oh, what should we do? And I said, well, why don't you just say good morning and include them? <laughs> doesn't sound like a really Is that too hard, does it? <laughs> and I said, what we should do is we should go into mediation. We should definitely get some mediation. I'm like, what are you going to mediate? Like, I'd like you to say good morning to me. No. Like, it's just such a stupid <laughs> conversation. And so That's not even getting to how someone's going to say the good no, morning either. <laughs> I know. But if someone's telling you that you haven't said good morning for six weeks and they've started to diarise, then it's probably you haven't and you probably need to get over yourself and say good morning. Like, it's not going to kill you. It's not, and is so it? I don't think you need mediation to do that. You just need to get over yourself. Yeah, and that's just politeness and everybody should want to bring that with themselves wherever they go, whether it's at work or at, at the local shop or restaurant, you know, people need to be polite, yeah. should be polite because it's better for society. And particularly when someone calls you on and says, look, this is now causing me grief, you think most most of us will go, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I've just been a bit preoccupied, didn't mean to do that. I'll say good morning tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, this is that. <laughs> so how can we avoid stress? Have you seen some good examples of companies that have set up uh, good practices or good facilities or good methodologies to help um, employees uh, to avoid stress at the workplace? There's, there's, lots, there's lots of programs. Like there's lots of, you know, brown bag lunches. I did hear one funny story and it actually comes from Jeff Pfeffer's work too, but he talks about the fact that you know, brown bag lunches on health and well-being are pretty funny because then everybody works back at night and has their pizza at their desk because they work so long because they had to go to the stupid lunch. So there's things like that. You go, I'm not sure that's very handy. But uh, there's some really good stuff. Like if you look at things like Mates in Construction, which is um, a suicide prevention group, they've actually come up with some really good stuff about how to stay connected and Beyond Blue, some fantastic mm. stuff, really simple stuff like staying connected to people, letting them know that you're together, mm. just simple emojis on text messages, things like that, just so people know that you're around and you're in their corner. Um, I think avoiding stress in terms of the excessive hours, mm. um, you just people just need to accept that there's a certain number of hours that we can be helpful and useful and after that we probably need to rest and have a weekend and mm. get over ourselves a bit and that's that's a good way, and probably avoiding people, avoid working with people that cause you huge amounts of stress. Certainly, one of the biggest stresses is a, is a boss that's just you know, narcissistic or yeah, incredibly totally. difficult. Yeah. And and you know sometimes when I'm sitting with people, I say, "What can I do?" I say, "You know, I, I'd leave." Yeah. <laughs> so, this person's been yeah, like that which, for twenty years. They're not going to change. No, which Walk is away. it's true. <laughs> that, yeah, that's true. You can't go into uh, relationships. Um, you know, you can foster, you can encourage a good working relationship, but you know, change is the responsibility of the uh, individual, and you can't expect it. So, when relationships are toxic um, at work, where can all the toxic people go? Where's a place for them? <laughs> What's what do they do if if someone well, is the toxic you, worker or person? Like, if, where, where do they go if you get a leader that is um pretty stressed they'll pretty quickly create stress around them and so if you're in that around them group you'll be stressed pretty quickly as well like it's quite contagious yeah it's a knock-on <laughs> so it's a knock-on effect it is a knock-on so sort of finding a way to have a conversation to say hey look you know been working with you for a couple of months now you you sort yeah. of you're pretty stressed. Like, what are you doing about that? What's your self care? What is it that mm. gets you into better shape? And so, That's a lot of the time, when you're working with groups, you can simply go through a list of self care things. And it doesn't have to be formulaic. It's not like everybody needs to run marathons. Everybody needs to, I don't know, become vegetarians or whatever it is. It's actually. Whatever works for you. So if it's a walk in nature, if that's a swim at the beach, if that's a mm. cup of coffee with your mate, if it's a glass of wine, whatever it is, 
find what it is that really mm. rebalances you and sets you straight again mm. and make sure you do it. Yeah. Or ma- and sleep's another one. People people start to yeah, say, sleep. Think about how much well, sleep you diet getting. and and yeah, that's true. And I you know, I think it's the it's the belief that uh yeah, everyone can reach a potential and uh, everybody can evolve to um a better level. I guess. Yeah, we had a, a really great we had a breakfast session with a, a really strong sleep expert. And she spoke to us about, you know, they've got these 40-minute cycles of sleep all night. And it was such a revelation. People went home and sort of started mapping out their sleep. And anything less than about seven and a half hours a night, you're really on borrowed. You know, you're borrowing from the next day or Mm. you're borrowing from your moods to get there. So if you just go, okay, whatever time I go to bed, I'm just going to set that alarm for seven and a half hours later. Yeah, totally. totally. Um, That's a good start. That's right. And, and it was, really changes yeah. the mood of a whole team. That's right. And if there was more flexibility uh, sometimes with start times, A, it would be less of a getting into work commuter traffic uh, trouble. And, uh, yeah, people would be more relaxed and they'd be uh, working at their best rather than sleeping at their desk or sort of disengaged or, you know, potentially being ta- lured into toxicity. To <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're going to go to a break. And uh, you're back on Tech Load. And we're with Rhonda Brighton Hall, CEO of. And uh, welcome back, Rhonda. Uh, Leadership. Have you met many great leaders in your time? I have, at all different levels, and I think they've got just a couple of things in common. They (laughs) say, do you want me just to say it? (laughs) Because I get asked this question all the time. So uh, I think great leaders are about other people. They just get in there and make a space and environment for other people to work. They know people. They get to know people properly and that's it. I don't think it's more tricky. You don't think it's more complicated. You think that's a simple uh, form of leadership and that's all we need. I know. And people go, oh, we've got a 15-page capability framework on leadership. I'm like, sure. You also just (laughs) need to get in there and make a good space for other people. You need to yeah, get out of your own way to let a few other people in because you yeah, can't. Yeah, that's exactly right. Because we can't do, can't go solo. I mean, you can go solo for some things for some time, but you know, living yeah. involves if people. Go, if you go, if you go solo, good people won't want to be with you. <laughs> yeah, by yourself. No, so because the good people um, want to actually be involved uh, with people. Yeah, but if you did your capability framework around the front page, needs to be know your team, create a good environment for other people and give a damn about the people who work with you. That would be the start. Everything else is sort of, okay, sure, there's more, but sure. Let's start with the beginning. <laughs> what excites you about tech? Oh, huge amounts of things. Huge possibilities, um, really clever people thinking of really good ideas. I just think it's unending and and I love where it could go. I just... I. I constantly read it, look for it, talk to people, go and visit people who are doing cool stuff. I think it's huge possibilities. And what surprises you? Um, probably surprises me about tech is that the conversation that they're allowed to have, so few people are joining it. So tech can be really good fun, but people say, oh, no, I can't code, I can't do it. Like I went and put myself in a coding course for a year just because I'd better go and check if I can actually do this. <laughs> and it's <laughs> that actually not that hard. So, yeah, go, people get involved. And, and I think there's so few people involved in the conversation that the people who are building tech are currently working untethered to society, untethered to most people, and to some degree without constraints, like without any reference point to what sort of society do we want to live in, how do we want people to be in the society, and so they're just doing whatever they want to do. And I think the more people that join the conversation, we could probably um, not constrain it as much as 
um, start talking about where it might go in positive ways and start thinking about possibilities that are actually good for us as opposed to terrifying. How do we keep up with the changes? Uh, get involved in conversations. Get out and ask people. Read things. There's so much available. But and and every so often you get like a Netflix documentary to scare the pants of everybody. <laughs> but but get involved and see what people are doing and follow a couple of companies that are doing interesting things. Mm. Um, read as much as you possibly can. But certainly turn mm. up. I, there's things like the Vivid Festival. Like everybody goes around and looks at all the lights. The Vivid. Um, but if you actually go and see the lectures and things that they're doing with Vivid. Some of them are absolutely brilliant. We went to a, a one-hour lecture on digital people and the progress that's coming through and how fast we're now able to make a digital person, mm. which is pretty amazing. And in 12 months, it went from a $300,000 investment and massive amounts of coding and technology to actually being something that you can start to now do on an app and it costs, it's free. Wow. So that is incredible. Months. Yeah. Yes. I know. Exciting and scary. <laughs> at the same time, I know we had so many different things I'd love to uh, talk to you about, like the news headlines that, you know, you're into all sorts of things. You have, like, talked about the Space app, which was pretty crazy because <laughs> I asked you, you know, there was some news there on NASA, you know, seeing if there's life underneath Mars with their drilling program. And, and then the tech news of the day was, so we'll end on this, the tech news of the day was that um, in this day in, I Let's we go back to 1973, September the 25th. There was the first personal computer you never heard of. And uh, I really wanted to uh, capture um, your beginnings uh, with computers. What was that like? Uh, at high school, learnt to code, did it in a little card and had to punch holes in it. <laughs> then we had to take it out the front and give it to the teacher to feed into the computer <laughs> to see if we got the equation right. And that just sounds like a completely another world. So I really wanted to end on that. Um, love love speaking to you, Rhonda, and I'll definitely um, you'll be back on the show shortly, I'm sure. Um, and just thank you love so much. You. Thank you so <laughs> thank much. Thank you. Fun. And uh, great to have your company here on TechLoad. Join me, Sandra Spencer, on Southern FM next week with more tech news, info, and experts. Wednesday six to seven.